Welcome to Choosing Leadership, a podcast for high performers with big dreams and for leaders who know that they are more powerful than the level that they are currently playing. I am Sumit Gupta, your host and the founder CEO of the Deploy Yourself School of Leadership. I am here to help the best leaders get better and to help organizations massively improve their output and impact and at the same time eradicating workplace stress. Yes completely eradicating not just reducing completely eradicating i believe in creating a future and a work culture where people wait for mondays not fridays and get to do their most meaningful work the aim of this podcast is not to provide you more content but instead shift the context under which you operate this podcast is titled choosing leadership because that is what leadership is a choice In each episode I will celebrate leaders who have made such choices which are not always easy and comfortable but which has helped them get to where they are today. And let us celebrate the leader in us for choosing to move over our fears, for choosing to be motivated by something bigger than ourselves and for choosing to deal with every challenge that comes on the way. Let us celebrate you right now for stepping into the unknown and taking courageous action as those were the moments when you chose leadership at the end i will share how you can be our next guest on this podcast and with that let's get started cham is the co-founder at kidstart and the beanstalk app in the interview cam reflects on the early days of his entrepreneurial journey drawing inspiration from the birth of his first son He outlines his vision for the future aiming to revolutionize the financial services industry for families particularly in children's savings. His passion for creating a positive impact is evident as he envisions a world where parents previously feeling financially constrained find hope and take steps to build wealth for their children. Amidst the challenges of scaling, Chem emphasizes the importance of focus, effective communication within the team. and the joy derived from making progress on impactful initiatives hi chem welcome to the choosing leadership podcast hi sumit it's good to be here thanks for inviting me it's a pleasure to have you here why don't you start by sharing a little bit about yourself and what keeps you busy these days sure so my name is jam i i'm co-founder of kidstart which is a business that helps families save for their children's future Before that, I worked at a U.S. bank in the U.K. Capital One. My background before that is in engineering, but I'll tell you a little bit about Kidstart if you like and what we do there. Sure. I think kind of parents, and I certainly feel this as a dad of three, we intuitively know that unfortunately it feels like life's getting harder for the next generation. Getting a going to college, incurring debt, getting on the property ladder, starting your first job. the security and stability around incomes is for graduates as well i think we all slightly suspect rightly i think that the next generation have a harder start in life than perhaps we did and we we our, our first kind of product to address this problem uh, for parents was kidstart which is a, a very simple idea we've partnered with about 2000 retailers in the uk who offer a rebate or a reward back to our members when they shop online at them. So under the hood it's not the similar to any other cashback or loyalty or incentive site you would see, but the difference with us is that reward is not going to you it's going to your children. 
And when we launched the business, there was a, a legacy product here in the UK called the Child Trust Fund, where the previous Labour government under Gordon Brown wanted to incentivize parents to start long-term savings for their kids. And they would do that by giving the child a £250 voucher when they were born that the parent would go and use to open up what was this child trust fund, which was a, a long-term savings product, matured when the child was 18, the fees were capped, anyone could put money in, low minimum deposit threshold. And they really, about three quarters of them went into what they were called a stakeholder product, which means it was invested in a fund and it had a potential to grow. So we partnered with a number of the largest of these child trust fund providers to offer their kids start services that, hey, here's an extra way in which you can top up mm. your kids' future savings, which is really simple. It's what you're doing anyway. You're shopping at eBay or Amazon or John Lewis, or you're buying it. You're renewing your insurance or your utility bills. There are partners out there that in order to attract that customer, attract their, their new business or keep their loyalties in existing business, would like to offer those rewards. So that was our, our first kind of product to solve this yeah, problem yeah. families, which and was before, Kickstarter. Like before we go into the details, like you talked about engineering. Like, so for you, where did this passion or this like uh, deep care for doing something for children, where did this come from? When did it start to do a, actually start a company on that? I think that's a big step rather than simply yeah, it didn't, cause. Yeah, it didn't start when I was an engineering student. I can mm. tell you that, right? I, I think for me, this happened later on in life as I started having kids. And yeah, you have your first kid, everything's busy. I had kids very young. You're working hard. You're trying to raise family. You're trying to progress in your career. And at the same time, you've got this thought in the back of your head, I really should be trying to save money for their future. My first child was before this child just for product existed. So inevitably, what do you do? You put it off, right? You, you say, I'll do that later. You have the second kid. Okay, now I really should do something. And by that time, there was this product that was around. But it, back then, it was a paper-based product. It's very difficult to keep track of what's going on in the account. And it was around about that time when the neobanks were entering the market with great user experiences, neat apps, the... We begin to, we take it for granted that if I have a, if I have an account, whether it's a checking account, savings, loan investment, I should be able to check out what's going on in this and easily keep track of it. These children's savings products are not that. And they really, it was become increasingly obvious to us that this was a very overlooked segment of financial services that had not been touched by innovation. And for a couple of structural reasons, kind of children's savings, it's low balance accounts. If you're in the investment space, you're interested in high net worth and pensions and tips. Who really cares about trying to service low balance accounts? But the kind of stars aligned in a way that there were other entrants into the marketplace at a platform level that can allow you to start doing some of these things at a, at a more reasonable cost structure. So you could go after low balance accounts and children's savings and try to make propositions that are economical and going to be like laser search. This was not something that I would say I, as an engineering student was in the back of my mind at all. Honestly, can't say that. But I guess in the, in the process of having kids, suffering this problem as a parent myself of three, and then getting into this adjacent space of, we got to know the children's savings market very well. Uh, we got to know the products very well. And then we got to see that there's, there is a gap here. People are innovating and doing lots of great stuff over here. 
but Chilton Savings is being overlooked. So I'd say it was a bit of an organic yeah. process to arrive at the conclusion that we should be doing something. Yeah, thank you for sharing that because a big part of or a big reason of what I do today was also triggered by the like the birth of my son, my first son. Uh, and uh, I can relate to that. But at the same time, doing something on your own, especially as an entrepreneur, uh, is also taking a big risk, especially a financial risk, because there's a lot of uncertainty. So can you share how was that early period when you decided to do this? So it was very meaningful for you, but this was still new or, or risky. How did you deal with that? Yeah. Yeah. When I first started working after graduating, I joined Capital One in the UK. They were about two or three years into their presence in the UK. Business was still very small. I think the overall the team was still around 50 to 80 people. It's now, it got to a point where there was 2,000 people. I think they'd scale back a little bit. But when I joined, it was a very, it felt, it was like joining a startup, even though it was a subsidiary of a growing US bank. They were hiring graduates left and center. It was a young organization, lots of energetic people, and it felt really fulfilling to be there. Nobody had the playbook. We knew we wanted to disrupt in that, in Capital One, the credit card market in the UK. There was a large fat incumbent at Barclay Card and the banks where they could literally fall asleep at two o'clock at their desk and customers would roll in through the door because they had this huge distribution network through branches. So it really felt that better product, better price, better smarts at doing risk and credit policy, which was my role there eventually. It was exciting. Play that forward as any successful organization grows, the challenges change. And it was about 2007 or eight, the credit crunch was just beginning to peak. If you remember, Capital One kind of was always well protected against that, but it still, it was, it felt like the right time for me to go on and move on. And I felt like I wanted to recapture some of that earlier experience in a smaller organization. I'd not been in a startup very much, took the plunge, but, but grateful that I did that. But you're right, it is a risk. Uh, it is worrying. Uh, it's still worrying, right? We're, st we're still working away at it, but it's, I can definitely say it's more satisfying. Yeah. Thank you for adding that. So now can you share a bit more about the future or like, how would you like the future to be different because of which, right? Like you are taking this risk, you're really day in and day out, investing your efforts and everything that you have got into that. So what is the vision? So for the business specifically in the product, I think the vision is to serve families and treat them as the way that they think about themselves and their problems related to money. Mm -hmm. Typically in our industry, and maybe, I don't know if you can have experienced this a little bit with you and your family, I know, but typically financial service institutions would think about you and your account, kind of Sumit and his bank account or Jem and his mortgage. Whereas in reality, we, yeah, there are single people clearly, but there are also many families out there and we have responsibilities and opportunities that, that are spread across the family. We are looking at maximizing our income. We're looking at paying down our mortgage. We're looking at supporting our children, getting, getting a foot on the property ladder. We may have elderly parents. They've got needs themselves or have wealth. Actually, yeah. there's a statistic in the UK. I'm sure it's pretty similar all across Western Europe. You know, 25% of all 65 year olds and above are millionaires, mm. mainly because they're sitting on property prices that have inflated over the last 20 years but also because of their pensions and, and savings. Under 40s proportion to a million is 0, 0.0, whatever the number is, right? So then we've got this huge inverted wealth pyramid where we're, people are aware of this. So 
thinking about the family unit and across the generations, whether it's helping them with how they're going to transfer that wealth down the generations, how they're going to protect themselves while they do that, how they're going to pay down debt, how they're going to build wealth. There isn't many financial institutions thinking about offering those kind of services to the mass market. Mm. It's only really available to old China with people through kind of family offices. We saw children's savings and specifically the, our, our approach to that, which I didn't really describe, but it's getting the whole family involved. With our product, you invite grandparents, they link to your children, they make contributions, they can send messages with gifts. Getting that whole, all three generations involved to start with the first goal of let's build a pot of money for your children and grandchildren. We see that as a beachhead into a bigger opportunity. So the vision really is let's go become a leading name in children's savings. And then secondly, given the way we structured our kind of multi-user, multi-beneficiary account servicing infrastructure, we can then help families solve other problems as well, like the ones mm -hmm. I've just related. So that's really the vision of the future. Yeah. Yeah. So if we imagine like we are in a few years into the future, let's say three years or five years, and what you're trying to do has been a success. So how will life be different for parents or for families uh, in that case? Really, I think, I, I, I think it's the, I think there is a certain sense of, I wouldn't say hopelessness, but almost it's tough out there, right? We, the incomes have not kept pace with, with living costs and things are getting more expensive. So I think giving parents, young parents and their children as they grow up, a sense that it's not all negative. We're not all in the red. There is some upside here. And it doesn't matter if that one is infinitely bigger than zero, right? So it's going from the zero to one on the, what have you got behind you in terms of savings and accretion investment? So I think largely, I think that, that, that I would be pleased if in three to five years time, we've got a significant number of parents who would not have been building up wealth and assets for their children who to start doing that. And it almost, you know, just don't worry if it's 1,000, 5,000, 50,000, just getting something on the positive side of the, of the balance sheet is going to be good. And it's going to make you feel good as well. It's going to make you feel that you can do something about this. The good thing with children's savings is depending on if you start early, you've got 18 years on your side, right? You've got a long time. You don't have to, it's more about the little and often mantra. Yeah, every little helps. Let's do a little bit through you, a little bit through your cash back from your shopping, a little bit from grandparents, mm -hmm. a little bit from gifts, maybe swap out some of the plastic toys that children really don't need or clothes and then offer family and friends instead of the child to put something away for the child when they turn 18. So I really think. For me, success would look like uh, parents who typically would not have been thinking even it was possible to start building wealth for their children to get that good feeling that at least they're doing something. Yeah. Thank you for adding that. And what do you see is the biggest pain point or hurdle that either you are experiencing or that you envision in the future for yourself? For myself? Yeah. For, my, for yourself? And then as you build your company for your company. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess the paperwork is going to be, right. How do we do How do we actually get there? How do we do this? We've built a product. We still, we, I should have described that kind of we're jumping around a little bit, but so the development of this, of our solution was start off with kids. Let me just explain that very quickly. Start off with kids, start, earn money while you shop, hmm. see that there was an opportunity. We then built our standalone app, which is called Beanstalk, which is a stocks and shares junior ISA, which I've been 
describing, but, but let me just lay it out clearly for you. Very simple onboarding, two minutes to, from download to having an account. Invite grandparents, have the whole, have all your children in the same way. So have a bunch of tools to help you save little and often. We've done an open banking integration so that you can link it to your regular spending debit or credit cards and we can round up your purchases. So we're doing roundups, we're doing cashback, we're doing gifts, we're doing donors. Try to give parents as, as many possible ways to put my into the cap. I think the pain point really is going to be, we need to go and grow this. And it, you all know, if you're following anything to do in the capital markets at the moment, it's a tough time to go and raise lots of money to invest in growth or consumer-facing financial technology businesses. We, we were lucky enough to get a crowdfunding away from our some of our existing investors and some of our existing customers last year. But I think we it's a, the difficulty here is going to be how we actually go there and get uh, get customers at scale and economically. Now, some of that, we think we've got some of the right bits ingredient in there. So there's kind of word of mouth and virality built into the product itself because parents inviting grandparents or sending gift links to other parents, yeah, that is our main source of customers is word of mouth, right? And so trying to get that to work at a better rate is, is clearly key for us. But I do think if we're successful at it, we'll have a big business at the end, but that's not guaranteed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if I'm listening correctly, you're talking about revenue growth. You're talking about onboarding new customers in a, in an economical way, right? Yeah. Yes. Mm, okay. And, uh, so what do you think are your like one or two unique strengths that allows you to, uh, be confident about the future? What allows me to be confident about the future is a couple of things. And some of them are strengths unique to us, but some of them is just, so I, I explain it like this way. This is a real problem. We speak to a lot of parents all the time, given that we've got them as customers and we, uh -huh. we do a lot of, you know, we, we're plugged into our, we're plugged into our customers. And so we know we're fairly confident based on all the feedback we're receiving that parents do want to save money for their kids' future. As I was explaining to you earlier on, there was this legacy product in the UK where every child was effectively given an account by the government and given that initial seed money to kick it off. That had been scrapped. But when that product existed, and even my daughter benefited, my middle daughter benefited from having one of these products. When that product existed, when the barriers were removed, albeit artificially, the government removed the barrier for you and said, show up and take our money, right? You had about, depending on how you analyze the numbers, you had about 40 to 50% of parents would go on to make additional contributions above and beyond what the government initially put in that to you. The first uh, tranches of that product started maturing a couple of years ago. And so you had the first 18 year olds getting their, getting their naughty hands on these child trusts. And some of them clearly only had a few hundred pounds, but many of them, my daughter included, benefited from 15 to 18 years worth of those parents putting in regular amounts and then having the, the, the growth of that compound if the fund that was invested in performed relatively well. So the thing that kind of makes me that was scrapped and replaced with a, with an optional junior. So the thing that makes me confident is when the barriers are removed, parents know that they want to, parents will do the right thing. Mm. And so for me, I think one of our strengths is I think we've been pretty good at removing those barriers, which is it's a typically investment products are aimed at the top one or top half a percent of people with existing wealth to invest. And you go and look at a standard investment platform and it's all about you know, fund choice, risk appetite, 
do you want this asset class or that asset class? And it's, you look at that as an average average person in the UK who's not a sophisticated investor and is clearly shouting and screaming at you, this product is not for you. Right. And so I think the strength or the insight there is make it simple, make it understandable, bring in some of the, I don't want to say the word tricks, but bring in some of the strategies that we've seen other fintechs successfully apply in other let's get you from point A to point B kind of really swiftly and easy. So I think we, we, the, the, the strength there is just realizing that there's an opportunity and, and having, the, uh, having the approach to, to make it work. We'll see. Yeah. And personally for you as a founder, as the person in charge, what are your key strengths that you capitalize on almost every day? Key strengths I capitalize on every day. Uh, so we have a small team. I see myself as really supporting out, and we're very flat structure as well. So really see my role is supporting the team to help them succeed and get what they need done. Mm-hmm. So I also, again, in being in a small company, you have to roll up with sleeves and get involved in everything, right? So it's development, product, regulatory, reporting, fundraising, marketing, customer service, firefighting, everything involved. In there, you have to be able to touch on everything. So I really see my strength is being able to help the team do what they could do best and take away from their plate the things that are maybe not their skill set or that can be automated or that we can go ahead and just find these issues and really help them get what they need to do done. So I almost feel like uh, I I work for my team rather than the other way around. Um, Hmm. uh, But I like that and that that works for me. I hope it works yeah. And, and is there a dark side to that also when you do that? The dark side is you've got to be, you've got the dark side. So the flip side to it is I think you've got to be really focused on what the priority is. Right. And blocking out, I'm blocking out times in the diary, which is I've got to get this bit done. Right. I'm not just always the kind of customer client version with my own stuff. Yeah, I've got these things I need to do as well that they may or may not be aware of that's really going to help us push the business forward. So I think it's about being really disciplined and being a little bit ruthless with, with priorities as well and just realizing that there's some things that we're going to get to and some things that we're, we're not. Yeah, yeah. And as you said, you're trying to do almost everything in a small organization. You cannot avoid that as the founder. So how do you deal with all the pressure or all the time management stuff uh, and also taking care of yourself uh, in in the process. Yeah, the wrong thing to do, which we've been, I think we've all been a little bit guilty of if we're in, if we're in small organizations that we're trying to grow, the, the wrong thing to do is just, I'll add more, I'll add more time. We'll add more fire to the field. And, and, and at some point, it's, if there are some occasions where it's just unavoidable and we've got to row a little bit harder. So for this period, we'll row a little bit harder and make it done. But I think the... I think the way to, at least one of the ways that I tried to, to manage this is it really is just pulling down what needs to get done and what can we, what doesn't need to get done. And there were some things that, that, you know, would be nice. We'd love to, there were some features and functionalities and things we all have to do, but also it's knowing in the back of your head, what's going to be the needle moving thing to work on yeah, as yeah. opposed to what's going to be the ego massaging thing to work on, right? Or what's going to be the thing? We'd love to have that. Wouldn't it be great? But it's really not going to help us get to where we need to get to. Yeah. So I think it's just being really focused on stuff that's going to move us forward versus stuff that we would like to do and really letting go of some pet projects that you think would, would have been nice, but we just have to. Yeah. 
So what do you do to keep that clear mind, right? Because it is so easy sometimes to get distracted or to pull into a rabbit hole without realizing maybe that's not the, like that's not worth spending these many days or these many hours. How do you make sure that you are in that space so that you can prioritize and focus? I think it's just, we talk a lot, right? And there's, we're keeping, us, keeping each other, keeping ourselves focused down on what we're doing as well. So it, I think it, part of that is just making sure that we're all on board with where we're going, what we're doing. And it's very difficult to then get sucked into an, a non-returning rabbit hole because mm-hmm. there's just, it becomes obvious that there's too many yeah, things. Yeah. So it's really communicating amongst the team and helping us say, we'll hit, we'll help each other out at that point saying, is this really important? Do we want to go and focus on something else? Yeah. And I think that's the point you, if you're blindsided to something, by definition, you won't see it. And that's where mm. you're going to rely on the team. So having a, a culture where you can speak openly and freely about that, then not worry about you know, the implications. Yeah. So this is just really yeah. important. So we trust each other. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And like we have spoken all about like the company and the work, but beyond the workplace, what else is part of your life that maybe most people that you work with are not aware of? Most people I work with won't be aware of part of my life is probably music from an early age, taught myself various different musical instruments, mm-hmm. starting with piano, guitar, drums, got a little recording, home recording yeah. set up. So that's my, I don't really get much time to do it anymore, I have to say, but my music is making recording music. I love it. One of the things I've learned from that is, okay, why do you want to be a multi-instrumentalist? Why don't you just go and be the best guitar player? Or whatever? It's, mm. it's hard, right? But you can be like in the top 10 or 15%. I'm not saying I am, by the way, but in theory, you can be a beyond the intermediate piano player. And this, I'm just, this could be anything, right? You can, and then you can be a beyond intermediate drummer. And then you can be a slightly beyond intermediate guitar and bass player. And then you can be a beyond intermediate recorder in terms of using microphones and and such recording. And so. You stack those things on top of each other and there's suddenly like, oh, you could actually do something really unique because yeah. there are not many people that are going to be in the top, say 25% of all of those things stacked on top of each other. So I do find that kind of uh, approach has been really useful for me when you're, when you can, do you put the last bit of effort to become in the 99% center mm-hmm. of one thing, or do you just get good and then, then get the next complementary skill set on top of that? And I think that allows you to go and you know, do more things and add more value. But that's that's just my yeah my yeah. I think that's closer to the concept of skill stacking, right? If you are yeah. in multiple skills, then you become quite unique. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah, and I think there is there are quite some equivalents to the the startup world, the entrepreneurship world, right? Because you're yep. not trying to hire all experts, which like let's say a big company would do. You're trying to trying to hire some people who can then come together as a team. And then the team becomes uh, something unique yeah. and very powerful who can punch you beyond their weight. That's right. Yeah. So if you can wake up tomorrow having any new skill or ability, what would you like that uh, skill or ability to be for yourself? Uh, wake up with a new skill or ability tomorrow. Not so much a skill, probably more of an ability, being totally honest here, but maybe I need probably something to do with kind of fitness, exercise. I think one of the things that I've sacrificed along the ways is getting out there and really looking after physical health. So wish I had more time to take a long walk, <laughs> go do some exercise. 
So if I could wake up tomorrow with the ability to do 50 push-ups, great. Uh, shortcut to fitness, that would be fantastic. Yeah. In the absence of that, I think I need to just go make some more time to, to go and do that. Yeah. The kind of work-wise skill and abilities. I don't think just the premise of the question is one where I think you're missing, you're, you're, you're missing some of the most useful part of acquiring the skill, which is going out there and doing the work to acquire a skill. Mm -hmm. I just think it's quite kind of enjoyable and fun. And so you, you take the joy out a little bit by saying, I'm going to wake up tomorrow with a skill because unless it's being able to do 50 push-ups because I don't want to go to the gym, everything else, it's, that's part of the, that's part of the fun and enjoyment, the process you go on, the curiosity. A lot of, I think a lot of the times the easiest skills you learn are the ones that it doesn't feel like a chore to learn. It feels like mm. a game, it's play, it's, it's enjoyable. Yeah. yeah. Whereas the hard skills to learn are the ones that for you feel like mm -hmm. homework or drudgery. And sometimes you've got to just drudge, but it would be the ones that, whatever it is, it would be the ones that feel like play rather than work. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And as we wrap this up, right, uh, at the end of a day, as you said, it's a busy day for you. You don't have time, let's say for your fitness or for your music. At the end of the day, what, what gives you like, like the most uh, joy? Our satisfaction that this was a day well spent. It really is coming down to, are we pushing forward in our vision for the business? Are we getting to the stage where we can help more families do what we think we know they want to do? And it's the right thing to do, mm -hmm. which is to build some savings for their kids. That really is. I, I think of my own three, my eldest missed out on this government based product, right? And so we never really set up a long-term savings account for him. Wish we did, but sadly we didn't. He's now 23 got a job, so he's okay, right? He's kind of pulled himself up, but I wish we did. My Bizzle doll, so we benefited from this product, started putting money away. She's got a nice little, she's at uni, got a nice little pot there to help her through it. And my youngest, we're clearly doing it from the start. It does feel, as I come back and say to you, it feels, good is not the word, but, but it, it, there is a sense of security there, knowing that whatever happens to you, your business, your assets, your wealth, your property, your health. The children have something in their name. Yeah. At a minimum. And I don't know, you said you have one son. Yes. Yeah, I have a question back at you, right? Congratulations. I don't know how old he is, but, but I assume you've got some sort of an account set up for him. He may be too, too young or too old, but I would highly recommend it if you don't. It's, it's a good feeling to know that there is something there that's got their name on it specifically yeah. for them. And as they get older, actually, it's a useful prompt to then start talking to them about these things. There's been a, clearly a lot of innovation around children's debit cards and pocket money and linking chores to spending. And then that's mm. great, but it goes beyond just spending and earning, right? It also goes beyond saving yeah. and investing. And so having that product that I remember when I was a kid, my mother was a stockbroker, my, my father was a commodity trader. And on the weekends, they sit with the financial times. Money section's open on the kitchen table and they'd have me there going, you know, let's pick some stocks. What is a, what is a five-year-old maybe? But, but it was fun. You look at sectors, you look at PEs, you look at news and you kind of, it was, it was it's a good way to start engaging with children, especially if you can say, that's yours. Yeah. Yeah. That's your pot of money. What are you going to do yeah, with it? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for, I think sharing that because it clearly shows that this really matters to you, right? And this gives you joy as every day that you make a little bit of progress towards that. Perfect. 
So for anybody who might be listening, who wants to maybe reach out to you, find out more about what you're up to, what is the best way for them to do? So we can, the business is beanstalker.co.uk. Kidstar.co.uk is the cashback side of the business. You can find me on LinkedIn at Jem, I, C-E-M-E-Y. And profile says, if you like what we're doing and want to help, get in touch. Absolutely. Thank you, Jem, for sharing your thoughts. I will make sure to include these links with the show notes. And uh, as we end, have a blast for the rest of the year and wish you all the best for everything that lies ahead. Same to you, Sumit. Thanks for inviting me. Really enjoyed it. Thank you. It was a pleasure. That's it for this episode of Choosing Leadership with Sumit Gupta. I choose leadership every time I record this podcast. And I invite you to do the same. I invite you to design a life of joy, meaning, pride and satisfaction not just for yourself, but for everybody around you. If you got something out of this episode, would you share this episode on social media? And if you know somebody who would be a great guest, can you tag them on social media to let them know about the show? And if you are a leader who wants to acknowledge how far you have come and have big dreams for the future, please reach out to me to be a guest on this podcast. And I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. This is what I do most naturally, to lovingly and gently provoke you, to help you see your own light, to help you see what you are already capable of. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and it means a lot to me and my team. If you want to know more, go to deployyourself.com and subscribe to my newsletter or follow me on LinkedIn. I want to thank everyone who contributed to making this show a reality. And I want to thank you for listening. Always remember that you are enough, you are loved and you matter. This is Sumit. Until next time, keep choosing leadership.